You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you'll be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Till It Hurts, Till It Heals, recorded on Sunday, July 22, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. It's so good to see uh, yins, y'all, use. Or you people, whichever you happen to be. If you're a first-time guest, welcome to Harvest. My name is Mike, and you uh, may be watching me right here in Catanning, Pennsylvania, or you may be watching me in beautiful uh, Freeport, or lovely Petrolia Valley, or glorious Indiana, or in jail, or India. Because on a weekly basis, we uh, worship together in all those places. Isn't that awesome? And last week, I wasn't preaching, but I was here and several people came up to me, and they looked at me kind of crazy and said, what, you need a break? You know, uh, they're giving you a break? Um, and then inside, you know, they're thinking, how hard could your job be? Why do you need a break? And <laughs> you only work three hours a week? Um, <laughs> I think that's funny. It's self-deprecating humor. It's, it's not funny. But I wasn't getting a break. I, uh, that's not get. I, I didn't need a break. I if if you're gonna give me a break, don't give me a break from preaching. It's the one thing I never want a break from. Um, but actually, it, it, it's bigger than that. We are one church in four locations, and we have a lot of good men that God has called to teach the word. And we want them to all use the personality God gave them to bless us all. So from time to time, you will see other men preaching, and I'm here. Now, if I'm on vacation, hopefully someone else will show up and preach too. Or, I don't know, maybe you'll say, weekend off, he'll never know. (laughs) And away you go. I don't know what you do. But uh, there will be times I'm here because, see, like last week, it was a terrific sermon. I was blessed. I got to hear it twice. And... um, and, 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 and frankly, Fred preached that text, and we both kind of had the same idea of what it said, but we both, I would have preached it differently. And that may or may not be what the Spirit had that day. So he was here to preach to bless us, just like hopefully I am, and I took that opportunity to come to church here on Friday. I was hiding. Um, I, I used to sit up front and take a lot of notes, um, but... Then these guys say, you know how nervous it makes us when you sit up front and take a lot of notes. So I was actually up there in the corner of the balcony, and I also went to Indiana, Pennsylvania, and just enjoyed uh, Indiana, the Indiana campus. I have not been there just to worship before. I've been there, but normally I'm speaking or have some part to play in, the, in Sunday, but I was just there with my wife. What a terrific campus. If you are hearing my voice and you're not already in the Indiana campus, let me just invite you to go to the Indiana campus and worship on the next Sunday available. They worship at 1030 at the corner of Philadelphia and 7th. And it's a really cool uh, layout and it's really modern looking in the building. They and uh, you will get coffee just like any other Harvest campus. And, and 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 if you walk, park on the street and walk, Jimmy Stewart will tell you when the light turns green. And if you're if you're not familiar with Indiana, he really does. You push the button, he goes wild. Now it's time to walk across Philadelphia Avenue. And if you don't know who Jimmy Stewart is, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> we've lost a great icon. You probably don't. 
know who Johnny Cash is or John Wayne is, but I guess times change. Um, but I'll tell you, it, 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 it is tremendous to have uh, pastors like Fred who can come up here and preach, and they also love the flock they have in PVC, and pastors like Scott, who I got to enjoy up there. Now, nothing against Mike and Kevin, but um, this is obviously Fred and Scott day for me, and just giving them a little love. I really enjoyed being led by them for my Friday and Sunday uh, service. And, you know, we really are one church in four locations. We have um, one goal, to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. Uh, We make disciples, because a healthy church does that, that love one another, walk with God, and share the lost. It's a very very simple formula that holds us all together, but there really is a unity. Um, And I'm a very relational guy, by the way. Uh, different leaders have different leadership style. That's mine. If you don't like me, I can't get anything done with you. Because when I give orders, I'm annoying. And that's just true. It's a personality thing. My family has taught me this. We used to have family meetings. I would call them whenever the family needed to be straightened out. And I'd think, well, I'm dad. I'm going to straighten it out. And I'd get my dad clothes on, maybe put a dad, you know, uh, corduroy jacket on with little patches here and something. Sit down. It's time for a family. By the time we were done, kids were crying. People were running out of the room and it was horrible. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. You ask any, any member of my family about family meetings. I'm just not good at just, well, actually I'm real good at just yelling at people and telling them to do stuff, but they don't do it. The only way I can get you to do anything is if I can get you to like me. And it's just, a, it's just the way God made me. And um, so I'm always looking for friends. There are some leaders who are very effective who you're just not going to get to know them. And that's just the way it is. Uh, We have a thousand people go to harvest. Can you know them all? No, not well. But I try my best to at least learn a face, a name, and get as far as I can. And it was so exciting to go up to Indiana and see how many people I still knew and how many people I had yet to meet. So go up there, 10.30 they worship on Sunday. If everyone at Harvest goes up, next Sunday, (laughs) would that be the most awesome thing? Thousand people cramming into there. (laughs) We should do it. (laughs) Well, I have a better idea. A reminder, you can see your whole church if you make time to come to the outdoor service the last weekend of August. Um, if, you, if this is your first year in Harvest, you don't know about this, the rest of you probably do, we get together in the Catanning Riverfront Park, which if you haven't been to Catanning, just drive by the river, one park. It's not that big a town. You'll see it. And, and we just have a party with baptisms and balloons and cotton candy and food, free food. And it's just a lot of fun. So I hope you're planning your summer with the last weekend of, of August being there. Uh, another note, I know this is like business meeting stuff, but when do we get a chance to chat? I, I'd love to take questions, but I can't right now. But another note is a lot goes on in the church. It can be fun to keep up with if you can, but one of the tools that you can you'll find very helpful is something called Big Fred's Bites. It comes on email. Our executive pastor is also named Fred. Um, it wasn't named Fred, but we wanted, we wanted lots of Fred, so we had him change it from Bill to Fred when he came on. <laughs> it's 
true. True story. <laughs> so if you get Big Fred's Bites, good. But if you say, well, I don't get Big Fred's Bites, they're either going automatically to your trash or something. You might check your email or you, email, or you might just write it down on your Connect card. In case you don't have my correct email, this is it. Um, uh, really, uh, in all seriousness, a lot of details uh, come right there. Um, another thing I want you to know is coming. We, we talk a lot about missions. We send people on short-term missions. We send people around the world. And then when they come back from mission trips, they don't tell you anything. I know. I've heard that criticism from many people. Not that I'd ever mention any names, <coughs> Jan. But... It doesn't bother me to be told that because it bugs, it bugs us just as much. So we, we, the thing is we wanted to make this, this great media presentations and, and have a team that put together super media presentations so when people came back we could make a great video and show you and, and you'd love it, right? Because sometimes mission trip people coming back, they line up and say, it's your turn to talk. Then we went to the airport and like I went to the bathroom and people like, hey, He's in the bathroom and the plane's going to leave. But you know what? The plane didn't leave. And then I come out. Then we got, no, we didn't get on the plane. And that, I'm not kidding. I've seen that. You're like, and we don't want to do that to you. So here's what we're going to do. Every time there is a short-term mission trip, you who are interested, and I hope all of you are, there will be a scheduled Sunday evening where those people will come and report in an exciting fashion that I will not control the quality of. But it's going to be exciting. All right? I hope. (laughs) It'll be good. It'll at least be informative and it'll be fun. And it will be either at the Catanning campus, the Indiana campus, the Freeport campus, or the PVC campus. So if you haven't been to one of those and you want to say, well, I want to know what happened at the Newark trip and they're doing it at this campus, you just have to go find it. So, all right. Well, one more, then the sermon. Community groups are on the way. We really want you to join a community group or switch community groups if you didn't enjoy the one you were in. That can be hard, I know, relationally. Um, but we want you to find a community group that you feel comfortable in. We don't, it's not saying, I don't like people if you switch groups. Um, but we want you to find one. But in the meantime, you got like two months. This is a great time for you to meet someone in your church that you'd meet in the church, but you'd never see them. There's all kinds of people in the room you're sitting. Now, if you're in the jail, do this in a context that works for jail. I don't know, (laughs) but for the rest of us, I mean, there may be a way to pull, I'm I'm serious, there may be a way to pull off a special, I don't know, I don't know the constructs there, maybe prayer partners or something, but In the room you're in, there's somebody you have never had lunch with, dinner with, never went to play whatever you play in, never went to the movies with, never had coffee with. You can fix that. And like like for me, um, uh, this this pulls a church together, helps you love one another. Tom and Jeanette Scherf wanted to share the, the experience of kayaking. They got four kayaks and they asked me and my wife to go with them last Sunday after church and we did. I don't know, how many of you kayak out there? Okay, this is great fun. I immediately see it's a, it's a big improvement on canoes, which were a big improvement on rowboats, right? It's just so much easier. 
And apparently, one of the parts of fun that the sheriffs wanted to introduce us to was if there's not much water. And you kind of just do this to move that sucker <laughs> till, till you cramp. Then you get out and slip on the rocks and fall down on your face a lot. And you get really exhausted. It was so much fun. <laughs> I'm only half kidding. 25% kidding. But it, what was good is our hearts are knit together. I mean, we can always fill our schedules with what we have to do. Imagine how much richer our lives would be if we'd actually spend some time with one another. Church, do that. That's Jesus stuff. That's Christian stuff. It's really hard to love one another if you don't get to know anybody. Okay. That was all just pastor wanting to talk to you. And uh, so there's my chance. Now, uh, let's get down to business. You had your break last week, pastor. Preach. Okay, okay. Matthew chapter 18, please. Matthew 18, 21 to 35 is our sermon. We are going through parables this summer. This one has a little bit of a setup. Matthew 18, verse 21 has a little setup because Peter has a question for Jesus. Wouldn't it be cool if you could just ask Jesus a question live? I mean, you can pray and ask him and he'll lead you. Um, But wouldn't it be cool if he was just sitting there and you could just say, question. Um, And so Peter comes up to him and says to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now I want you to think for a second of anyone you've struggled to forgive. Has it been seven big offenses that bothered you? Or you're still struggling after one or two or three? All right? Seven is generous is what I'm getting at. If you just think about it, the times when people have wronged you to the point it hurts where it's hard to sleep or hard to forget or you were humiliated or you were embarrassed. Seven betrayals, serious enough to take up your mind. That's very generous of Peter. I wonder if Peter really is that forgiving of a guy naturally. I think he was looking for Jesus to pat him on the back, but I can't be sure. Jesus' answer, though, blew him out of the water. He said, I don't say seven times. How about 77 times? How about you? How about we up the ante? Listen, this is not humanly reasonable. Right? I hope you catch, catch the context before we hit the parable. In a sense, you may forgive your loved ones a hundred times in your families, a thousand times, but they're not really hurting you that bad. When you're really hurt by someone bad enough that you know you have to think in your mind formally, I need to forgive this person, Seven times is a lot. Just think back on people you know or yourself and relationships that you know are lost after one, two, three betrayals. So Jesus says an outrageous number. And then he gives us our parable as if to say, okay, I know my answer was outrageous. I'm going to give you a parable to let you know I meant it. And here's the parable. The kingdom of heaven, therefore may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Talents is a word we have gotten from the English translation of the Bible that we use a whole different way, but that's where we got it. Like my singing is a talent. 
And I dance with my hands out of my pockets. That's a talent. (laughs) It's not much of a talent. But really, it was a measurement of metal for coinage or wealth. Like, Like we have bricks of gold, right? How much was a talent? It was probably... Because if you look at a bunch of scholars, you'll get ballpark figures. But on the conservative side, 75 pounds of either gold or silver. 75 pounds. You got 75 pounds of gold lying around? Don't tell anybody. Okay. (laughs) This guy owed him 10,000 of that. So... Doing some conservative estimates, that would be about 20 years labor if you made average wage. Now, if you're super rich, it's not so much. This guy, obviously, is not super rich. He's in debt. It would take about 20 years average working to get one talent. (laughs) One talent. Just try to get 75 pounds of gold. It takes time. So he needs 10,000 times 20 years of labor. What did this guy do? I think it's gambling or something. He's got a problem. Verse 25. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all he had in payment to be made. The only thing of value he had was his life. So in a time where selling people for money was allowed, if they were in debt, he said, I'll sell you and your family. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. King's probably thinking, no, you won't. That money's gone. That money's gone. If I thought I could get it out of you, I wouldn't be selling you. No doubt the king is thinking that. But he must have looked pitiful because it says out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii and seizing him began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. Now, denarii is a day's wages for an average working man at the time. One day, he owes him 100, which given Jewish holidays and whatnot, six day weeks, it's probably three to four months pay. Not a small figure for anybody, right? This is not a tiny debt. It's three to four months' pay. And so the guy wants his money. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me. I will pay you. He refused. And he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. That society of the parable obviously has a debtor's prison. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Okay, that's the parable. Jesus adds this after the parable. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother 
from your heart. Well, we need to think about this parable because the Heavenly Father could do this to any one of us. Do what? Throw us into, into debtor's court? No, that's the parable. There's got to be a, a reality that the parable's pointing to. And I think the point, though, is simple, right? The point here is simple. I will say it for our map, for your study purposes. The person forgiven much must never withhold forgiveness from those who sin against him. This is the Jesus standard. There is no exception. There is no exception. There is no exception. You you know, you can say a sentence and put an emphasis on any word. There is no exception. There is no exception. There is no exception. There is no exception. Whichever one of those ways works, there's no exception. You say, why is he repeating himself? If you've been a human for this long, definitely if you've been a pastor for as long as I have, and preached on forgiveness, invariably, someone comes up and says, I know what you said, pastor, but you don't know what so-and-so did to me. Or to my loved one. I was just having a talk with one of, the, one of my youngins today and pointed out to her that women are tough on dudes who betray their women. <laughs> In other words, ladies, think of Daughter, sister, someone you love that a dude just did wrong. You hate that guy more than she does. <laughs> so the sin might not even been done to you. There's no exceptions. No exceptions. Five observations about the text related to this point just to bring it home to us. Number one, it's reasonable to forgive others when we've been forgiven. In other words, what's being asked of us is not unreasonable. But pastor, you don't know what happened to me. I I preached this in New Jersey. And after 9-11, I preached this, not this, but a sermon on forgiveness. And I was leaving, walking down the pew. They had pews there. And um, this one lady, who's very sweet, said, Pastor, I love that sermon and I, I love forgiving everyone in my life, but I will never forgive Osama bin Laden. <laughs> you know, it's hard as a pastor because I pretty much wanted to see Osama bin Laden laid out and his guts eaten by animals too. I mean, I'm an American. But it's reasonable to forgive Osama bin Laden what he did. It's reasonable. It's reasonable. You see, now, now that's not the only reasonable thing that happened in this parable. It's reasonable for the guy who was forgiven to ask his friend to pay him back. There's nothing wrong with asking your friend to pay you back if you lent him something. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not wrong. Sh- should I ask the neighbor if I can get my lawnmower back? It's your lawnmower. Go ask. It, w- it would have been reasonable to put this poor guy on a payment plan or something. He started to choke him and threw him into prison. What wasn't reasonable, though, was putting him into prison because he had been forgiven. In other words, the problem wasn't that he demanded that the person pay him or he be thrown into prison. That was fine. That was by the rules of that society. There's nothing wrong. If someone owes you $10,000, 
you have every right to go to them and bring the law against them. Right? And this this is the picture. Except one thing. The guy had just been forgiven 20 years times 10,000 worth of money. The forgiveness, it's reasonable to forgive others when you've been forgiven. That's the point. So we don't get into our head. The other servants saw it. All the other, no one had to explain the theology of it. The other guy said, what a jerk. And they ran back. Said, you know that guy you forgave? You should see what he's doing. Okay, second. There is accountability and punishment for the unforgiven. Now this is a parable, but this is real life too. Any sin committed by anyone at any time, anywhere on the earth that's unforgiven will be punished. (laughs) It's punished. That's how it works. And in this parable, everyone got punished. Did did the man who got thrown in jail, choked by his friend, was he punished unfairly? No, he was not. By the laws of that society, he should have paid back the money. He did not pay back the money. Nothing. He wasn't treated unjustly. He got his just desserts. And so did the guy who owed 10,000 talents. No sin that is unforgiven goes unpunished. Now, how does that work out on this earth with God? If you sin, you're going to be punished by God for that sin. Or Jesus is going to be punished by God for that sin. That's why sin matters. That's why you shouldn't say, well, I'm saved by grace, so I'm free to sin. No, you're not. You're stealing from your Savior. Right? Because he's paying. And if he doesn't pay, you will be punished for it. Um, most of the people in the rooms listening to this know that, but for those who may be newer to Christianity, um, Jesus Christ was without sin, and he shed his blood as payment for your sin. As the Bible says in Hebrews, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Third, God expects us to forgive because he forgives us. He goes first. He he doesn't say, forgive so that I can love you. Forgive so you can be good enough for me to like you. He goes the other way. He says, I've died for you. I went first. I forgave you. And on the basis of that, he, in other words, this master expected this man to change in his heart. The man did nothing, in one sense, legally wrong. We didn't hurt nobody. He went and asked for what he was owed. When he didn't get it, he brought the wood on the guy. What the, what the master expected is, wait a minute. When you receive this grace, I, I would have thought you would change as a person. For those of you who enjoy either the book or the Broadway play or the movie Les Mis, that's the whole point, right? That's the whole point. You got a criminal who receives grace one time. And then throughout the whole rest of this very, 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 very long book, he gives grace. Well, that's what the master expected. I gave you grace. I expect you now are going to be changed. And this is what God requires of me and God requires of you. I gave you grace. Now you give grace. I expect a change. Imagine Peter 
listening to this because he asked the question. I said it'd be great to ask Jesus questions. I should say, unless you're Peter. He always had a way of putting his sandal in his mouth. He's probably like, did I say seven? I don't know what I was thinking. I gotta go. No, you're gonna sit there and hear a parable, son. <laughs> Jesus giving him a lecture. So he's listening to this. He, he picks up. I'm, Peter's not dumb. I'm the guy who has been forgiven the 10,000 talents. <laughs> that's, that's the one I am. I'm the main character in Jesus' story. Peter, how, how, how many times should you forgive, forgive your brother? Up to seven times? Is that what you asked me? Well, son, I'm going to tell you a story, and you're the guy who got forgiven 10,000 talents. Was there still something you wanted to ask me? No, sir. No, sir. I had nothing. In Matthew 5, Jesus states this expectation, expectation on all of us very plainly when he says this, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He doesn't say love your enemies, bless them because this is gonna feel really happy. It's such a great thought, love your enemies, until you have one. Right? He's not saying because it's easy, <laughs> because they deserve it. He's saying, because I treat you this way and I'm awesome, says God, I want you to change the way you treat others. In other words, children of God are supposed to behave like their father. If you have a rotten father or a father's, mo- no father's all rotten, one that's mostly rotten, don't, don't behave like him. If you have a great father, though, generally you're going to Hopefully, bring him honor when you copy him. Well, we're to all behave like our heavenly father. The Lord's prayer is a treasure that keeps giving. It's a daily prayer. And I'm not saying you've got to pray it by law. Like, I'd have to say these words. Because if your mind's not in it, it's not a prayer. But you should take time, perhaps every morning, perhaps every night, perhaps every day at dinner. Sometime where you will remember that prayer. Because in it is... Give us this day our daily bread. So there's a certain expectation that, that this prayer will bless me daily. And Jesus giving us a prayer to pray daily, the only one I know that he gave us, like that. You know, churches will pile you up with prayers. Jesus kind of just said, here's your homework. And he loads it with blessings to keep your mind straight. And what's he put right in the heart of the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. There's this daily reporting. How, how am I doing, Father? <laughs> Father, I did my best to follow you today, but if I blew it a couple times, thank you so much for your mercy. Forgive me because of Christ. Now let's go over my part. <laughs> and I forgive those every day. It's an everyday accounting. We daily report to God. Why? Because repentance and forgiveness is really the breath, the breathing process of the Christian life. Because we are always repenting towards God. I know there's some people who believe there's a doctrine that says you can only repent once. And that's just silly. Because repenting is changing your mind. And every time you sin, you should change your mind back. Because your mind went the wrong way. It, we're always repenting, what's this, uh, Vertically. And, and asking for forgiveness. But if we're really to fulfill 
the great commandment of God, you got to breathe this way too. Constantly forgiving and in the Christian home, in the Christian church, hopefully, and being forgiven, right? That's how we roll. Really takes a lot of pressure off because it's really hard to be perfect before God or a Christian community, right? (laughs) I don't want to get too close to you people. One of you might hurt me. It's very common in churches. Or... I don't want to get too close to one of you because I'm definitely going to hurt you and I don't want you to hate me. Well, the Christian church should be expandable enough to handle that. So should the Christian family. Repentance and forgiveness is our breath. This way and this way. I want you to note that this guy was not punished in the story. He wasn't punished for throwing his friend in jail. The master didn't say, you did wrong to throw him in jail. He did wrong to throw him in jail, but on a moral court, not a legal court. Legally, the dude owed him. The jailer would have taken him if he didn't have the right to throw him there. No. His wrong was after receiving mercy, he demanded justice. When we struggle to forgive others. Are you listening to me? Is everyone listening to me? When we struggle to forgive others, what's happening is we have received mercy from God, but we're demanding justice. And God says, that's not the way my family works. If you want justice on earth, you get justice from heaven. If you want mercy from heaven, you'll give mercy on earth. Jesus said in Matthew 6, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others your trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. This is not some sort of um, getcha phrase in the Bible. Like you're walking along and saying, I forgive everybody. Then some guy like tries to hit you with his car and drives away and gives you the finger. And you're like, oh, I hate you. And you know you need to forgive him. But before you can, a rock hits you on the head and you die. Great, bad timing. I was going to forgive him. Just didn't have time. It's, it does, it's not like that. It really isn't. It's this constant arrangement you have with God. I'm always forgiven by you. And I'm always forgiving everybody. It does not mean there is no struggle. But it does mean this. And this can be hard to hear No matter how bad it is, you have to forgive. And that's where we need help. It's hard. (laughs) It's hard. Look, there's all kinds of things the human heart might hold on to. Some people have been molested, abandoned, betrayed. And they may have really struggled to forgive those. But there are some people go through those things and have forgiven them. But another person was just fired from a job. That was it. And they can't get it out of their head because it hits their insecurity and their neurosis some way. And they hold on to it for years. It's hard to tell what the human heart's going to hold on to. When you struggle to forgive or you have the feeling you're struggling to forgive, it's not because you're a bad Christian. It's because your old nature is fighting God's spirit. 
flesh wages, wages war with the spirit. Just like when God, Jesus said to the guys, I want you to stay awake and pray. And instead they all fell asleep. What did he say? The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. You wanted to stay awake, but you, you were tired and you gave in. And the same thing is happening. It's normal for Christians to fight their own flesh. But it is not an excuse for disobedience. You still must do it, even if it's hard. And so God gives us this parable not to make us feel guilty, but to help us. This is a very helpful parable, isn't it? I mean, he could have ended the question with, always forgive, 70 times 7, pal. And that would have been it. But instead, he gives a very helpful parable. Why is it helpful? Because it gives perspective. All we ever really need is a change of perspective. Jesus said it this way. If you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You need a change of thinking. And what this is saying, it doesn't matter. Get this. This can be hard to get. It doesn't matter how bad the wrong is against you. It's nowhere near as bad as the wrong you did against God. That's the point of the parable. Or another point. A necessary point. It's not really the point, but a part. No matter how bad. Well, this person set me up said he was going to do so-and-so, and instead he hated me and hurt me, stole my pride and ran off with my stuff. And I don't know what the situation, but I, I'd never done anything that bad against God, you might say, right? I never did that to God. I never walked out on God like that. So we need to grasp when this parable says that that one guy has 10,000 talents worth of debt, that you're that guy and I'm that guy. So you have the debt. How can it be that I or you could be that indebted to God for our sin? Well, the answer is every sin ever done anywhere at any time by any human is against God. You are made in his image and you're to walk his way. Everything you do is a violation of his holiness and he's perfect. So not only should Joe Smith forgive you for what you did to him, but it was worse what you did to God by hurting Joe Smith. So you get credit for every sin. Ever done to another sinner? God is holy. It can be hard to grasp. Why, why is God's holiness part of the equation? I was trying to think of a way to bring this home, and I don't know if this helps, but consider this. I, like most boys, I did not escape public school without getting into a few fights. And in those fights, every one of them, I like to think I was the hero being wronged. But going back and analyzing them with an advantage of time, I'd have to admit that I was probably the instigator a time or two. Might have been my fault. This sounds like a um, Margaritaville song or something. but And I might have thrown the first punch. You know, they say, never start a fight, but finish one. 
I might have been the guy who made the other person do that. (laughs) And I might have been wrong. So let's say I was. In theory. (laughs) And I ruined another guy's day. Started a fight with him. Punched him a lot. He punched me too. And you know how guys do. Roll around in the dirt. But I weren't ruined his day. Maybe made him embarrassed. That's bad. But on any of those days, I went home and I punched my mother in the mouth. Would that have been worse? Don't even hesitate on that. Your gut told you. Because that's your mother. That's your mother. Better to fight, start ten fights and be the jerk than punch your mother once. Because she's your mother. God said, honor her. She gave birth to you, for goodness sake. Show her some respect. You're a man. She's a woman. How much worse, then, is every one of my sins if they're against God? And they are. Let's take inventory of my sins, or yours. Let's start with our tongues. Every lie... Every curse, every blasphemy, every cruelty, every crudity. Heck, I can't remember. I mean, if if my guilt from the things I said depended on what I remember, I'm getting off scot-free because I can't remember that much. You know, who's with me? But if someone reminds me, then I feel really bad. How bad will I feel on judgment day if I'm not forgiven? Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. By your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. How guilty did I just become before God? Well, we could stop there. I've forgotten most of my other sins too. I really have. You have too. You have. Think back. You can't. I used to be a Catholic. There's no more pressure than going to confession. Because you can sit in there and you can't think of anything. Now, you know you're a rotten, you know, jerk of a person, but you just can't think of the sins when you need them. So then you sin, and I've done this by making stuff up. But God keeps a record. It doesn't matter who knows. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed. Nothing is hidden that will not be made known. Therefore, whatever you said in the dark shall be heard in the light. Whatever you've whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed in the housetops. And then we jump to the end of Revelation. It says, And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. So it was written in books. Well, good, I don't have to remember. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. The death in Hades gave up the dead who were in them. They were judged, each one. What are people judged by? It's not going to say here by not believing in Christ. It says, according to what 
they had done. And then it says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. Do you know what that means? None of them came off innocent. And that's the future. I'm talking past tense. Someone here may be stubborn and say, well, I still don't think I'm that bad. Heck, I, I don't even break the Ten Commandments. Oh, really? Maybe you just don't think about it much. Have you borne false witness? Lied about another person to their detriment? Ooh. Have you always honored your mom and dad? Okay, you're all guilty right there. Have you ever coveted another man's wife or another woman's husband or boyfriend, girlfriend? Have you ever coveted that person? Have you ever coveted another person's possessions? How are you doing so far? You're hoping I'll get to like murder so you can get off the hook, right? <laughs> you ever looked on something other than God as your ultimate goal? Well, someone here will say, well, I've never committed adultery. <laughs> God, you know. <laughs> Till Jesus says, well, have you heard that it said you should not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So dudes, chicks, have you ever lusted in that noggin ears for someone else? Guess what? You're guilty. Well, but I've never killed someone, someone might say. Have you heard that it was said, Jesus said, those of old you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. I say that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And that anger is not righteous anger. <laughs> you know what it is. Your guilt and my guilt before God is tremendous. Whatever it is that person did to you doesn't compare. Now, do you want to stand with your pile of guilt going to the heaven before God who you've sinned against like punching your mother and you got this person who hurt you and they really hurt you. They, they really wronged you. And they got this little pile about this much that they did against you. And you say, I'd like justice on him. She says, okay. <laughs> I'm going to put justice on you. That's what the parable says. So no matter what the sin, we need to forgive. And at this point, we may feel powerless. So the last point, and an important point, is the power to forgive comes not from our flesh, but from the Holy Spirit within us. If our flesh can't do it, who's going to do it? The Holy Spirit, which is God. With all this guilt, I should despair because I need to be forgiven. Well, Jesus knows my guilt and he died on a cross for my guilt. He knew the score and he said, put it on me. And he did it for you too. Look what it says in Colossians 2. You who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. All that means because you're a lousy sinner. God made you alive together with him. How could he? Because he'd forgiven us all our trespasses. All of those things you did. He canceled the record of debt that stood out against us and its legal demands. He set aside nailing it to the cross. It's as if he wrote every one of my sins down. He took that, rolled in a piece of paper, and there's already three nails. Let's put a fourth one. Boom, there's Mike's sins. That's what's being paid for here. Bill of sale, boom. And they put yours, bill of sale, boom. That, that cross was covered with your list of sins, my list of sins. 
And the blood of Christ was enough to pay the bill. Can I get an amen? Amen. Well, (laughs) with the forgiveness, did you notice what came? It said he made us alive. That means he put his Holy Spirit in me. So I may feel my flesh and emotions. But that doesn't change that the Spirit's in me by faith. And now I have the power to forgive. He made me alive. You need to realize if a true Christian with the Holy Spirit in them, if you truly have the Spirit, and if you're saved, you do. When they say, when we say, I can't forgive, what you really mean is I won't. That's what you mean. I don't want to, and I won't. And that's rebellion, and it's wrong. We ought not to be those people, folks. Who is in your mind right now? Who? Or who did you sin against? You know what would really make that a lot easier for that other person? If you would humble yourself. It's so much easier to forgive someone who's sorry. Now, people don't always. People can be jerks. But maybe you got to go tell somebody. I was just relying on the fact that I wasn't going to say I'm sorry, but I am. Because I was wrong. And if you do that, if you ever say you're sorry to anyone in a small fight, a big fight, or a fight that's been going on for years, please do not add, but you. Because whatever comes after but you means I'm not sorry. And you say, but wait a minute, Pastor Mike, they did hurt me. I ain't saying they didn't hurt you. They probably did. Forgive them. Father's good to bad people. Be good to them. Who do you need to forgive? Is there a good reason to walk out of the building you're sitting in tonight, today, this morning, whatever? Is there a good reason to walk out without settling that with God? Is there? Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.